Welcome to Moonstone Podcast, a podcast on learning from the inspiring people surrounding me. This is the second episode in my Ode to Women series and we're moving over to kind of the opposite subject matter of what I was talking about last week which is the choice to not have children and speaking with my friend Faye Alder around her pregnancy, her experience of preeclampsia. I can't explain how much I learn from the women in my life who are mothers. As I say to Faye in this episode, we're given a very structured narrative around having children growing up and how easy it will be, how it's your choice, how you want to give birth. But sometimes that choice is taken away from us. And in situations of life or death, you do what is best for you and your unborn child. I really hope you find this conversation as insightful as I did. And Faye is an absolute trooper. She has been through so much. Everything I learn about kids is from you or Mel or my older sister, basically. (laughs) And when it really hit me that I wanted to speak to you was when we were out for our bottomless brunch and we were tipsy. And some of the stuff you told me, I just had never heard of before. I feel like I can't even remember what I said. If you don't go through it, you just don't even realise that it happens to some women. I mean... I'm a bit scared of children so I think it's amazing that you can have your own and stuff. Um, I keep it I keep them alive and everything. Yeah (laughs) it's crazy. So I've been looking up please excuse me if I have got this if I don't pronounce this right pre-eclampsia. Pre-eclampsia yeah. So this is one of the things that you enlightened me to during our tipsy bottomless (laughs) brunch. Yes. Which I had never heard of before. I knew that you had some issues towards the end of your pregnancy and things weren't 100% for you. We'd talked around that, but never properly in detail. And I didn't know it had a name and I didn't know what it meant. Mm. And no wonder, because I'm going to (laughs) roll off my stats here, but it only affects up to 6% of pregnancies. I feel um, special. <laughs> I'm not sure I did at the time. Rather but... than seeing that six <laughs> percent, but rather than me going through my fact sheet and what I've read and trying to explain something to you that you've literally been through, are you okay to just tell me a bit about it and your experience? Yeah, and no I probably I don't think I really know the like official way of describing it. If I'm perfectly honest, when you're going through your pregnancy and you have your regular kind of catch-ups, check-ups with your midwife. There's always talk about preeclampsia. And I knew that it was only a really small percentage that it affected people or women. You always have a urine test and then they check your levels and levels of what? I don't know. What do they check? I think it's your iron levels, I want to say. They'll always check that and your um, blood pressure and and things like that. Um, And I think that's all linked to preeclampsia because it's it's really quite serious that if you have it during pregnancy um not necessarily right at the end like I had but if you have it during pregnancy then you have to it it can be managed but you have to book in a c-section and you have to have like a, a planned birth rather than the more you know less planned natural birth because it can affect your baby and it you it can affect affect the life of your baby and 
of you as well. And I don't think I really understood how serious it was because all through my pregnancy it was, yep, you're fine, your levels are fine, your blood pressure's fine, absolutely fine. Second to last checkup, and it was with a midwife who I'd not spoken to before. My normal one was on holiday, and she ended up coming to my house that particular time. I mean, you'll remember I was as big as a house and swelling was a big thing and part of the preeclampsia I later realised. So yeah, so she came to the house and because she didn't know me, she hadn't been on my journey with me. She she kind of came in, did her job, checked my blood pressure, checked my my urine sample, all of that and everything was okay in in her eyes. Two weeks later, I then had to check up with my regular midwife who had come back from holiday. And as soon as I walked in, she told me that I was clearly struggling with preeclampsia and that I needed to get to the hospital there and then. I remember it was a Friday and it was a day where we had just picked Ollie up from school. So my stepson, no, they came into the appointment with me because it was only going to be a quick check. It was literally my 40 week check. So I was, you know, ready to burst basically and looked like it. She was really calm because Ollie was with us, um, obviously for me as well. But essentially it was kind of life or death, really, that I had to go to the hospital there and then. And it was because she knew me through my pregnancy, she could recognise in me that my my face was swollen, my hands and feet, legs, t- just t- to be honest, about every part of me was swollen from water retention, which is a real um, big kind of symptom of preeclampsia. That was a Friday. I went into the hospital. And I had lots of monitors strapped to, to me, to Charlie, to, to kind of listen to him and, and make sure that he was OK. And weirdly, all along, I was okay. He was okay. A bit earlier on in my pregnancy, I had a really bad bout of heart palpitations. Mm. I don't know if you'll remember. And I was in hospital for that. And I had raised heart rate that I couldn't control. It was over 200 beats per minute, which is crazy. About. <laughs> yeah. But all the way through that, Charlie was not affected. You know, he had such a normal heart rate, yet I'm there with, you know, 200, 220 beats per minute. God knows how that child <laughs> didn't react to that. But yeah, so kind of going back to um, when I went into hospital at full term, he was fine still, um, but they they just had to kind of monitor it, basically. The rest is quite hazy because I was then given a lot of painkillers and drugs and things. So <laughs> my mind's not, well, my memory's not the best. But there was a point where Charlie's breathing stopped while, while he was still inside my stomach. And that's when we had to make a choice to go into surgery basically and kind of get them out quick and I think that was all preeclampsia related funnily enough within 24 48 hours all of my swelling had gone my feet had you saw they were like balloons Lost before <laughs> I could only wear my my flip-flops yeah um, I'm so grateful that it was a summer because <laughs> I would have looked ridiculous in winter I'd have been in like Ugg boots or something to try and hide them I'm sure it, it was just a whirlwind from there I guess but even then it still hadn't really hit me how serious the preeclampsia had been not until they started giving me the medication that I needed to control my blood pressure because it had gone so high so although a lot of preeclampsia is in the run-up to your birth a lot of mine was from like the week before birth 
potentially two weeks when the the other midwife didn't kind of pick up on it and then around kind of a week to two weeks after so I was still in hospital for eight days in total because of my blood pressure um because I couldn't control it and bring it down didn't help that when you've had a baby you just want to get out and get home Uh, you know I'm impatient and I just I was doing everything I could to convince the doctors the nurses the midwives whoever would would talk to me that I was fine and I would happily if I I can remember saying that I'd happily go into the doctor's surgery every two days if you needed me to to use their blood pressure machine in the waiting room if I had to because I just could not stay there any longer I was getting I think it was every two hours they were coming around and doing my blood pressure night and day the first few days I didn't have Charlie with me because he was in NNU uh, neonatal unit for the fact that he had the cord wrapped around his neck that's why he he stopped breathing he wasn't with me for a few days so that was a bit weird of course I knew no different but I was on a ward with lots of mums and dads that had their lovely babies with them and I didn't I had an iPad screen <laughs> where I could where I could see him and it, it wasn't um it's not the same as it no not the same at all really not the same yeah eight days later I was able to go but it was on the proviso that I took something ridiculous like nine tablets a day to control the um blood pressure I didn't really feel the support after as much they just kind of I know I was obviously so desperate to leave the hospital but I feel like there could have been more support because I, I think actually I took the blood pressure tablets and then I probably took them for too long because where they were trying to bring my naturally high heart rate or blood pressure down. Mm. I then took them for too long and then it made it too low. So oh. there were periods of time where I was quite quite faint all of a sudden or I'd be holding Charlie and I'd be like, I've got to put him down because, you know, it, I'm, I'm going to drop him or, or something. So that, um, yeah, that that was interesting. Like I said, it wasn't just wasn't what I expected at all from the preeclampsia side of things but also from just the general like how you expect having a baby is in in a hospital I don't remember ever seeing him when I had him I didn't I don't remember it he wasn't given to me put on my chest like you see in films and tv programs apparently he was he was blue purple like not baby colored um and Steve was given the option to well he wasn't given the option he was told to go with Charlie and leave me while I recovered from not only massive surgery but from um the the painkillers that I'd been given and just generally kind of getting through having massive surgery which um which was never something I planned for either (laughs) yeah because you planned for a natural birth originally didn't you I did yeah I I really wanted to have a water birth just to I don't know I think I had this vision in my head that it would just minimize minimize pain be lovely and calm exactly and I can remember asking can I still have a water birth and they were like I'm really sorry you're way past that (laughs) just like oh crap I've got to do this (laughs) exactly it yeah it just it wasn't what you envisage at all you can't you just can't plan for these things whatsoever and it was it was the only time that Steve has 
confidently had to make a decision that essentially impacted my life and his unborn child because I had just been given some painkillers before I'd gone into the surgery that meant I was not in a fit state or mind to authorise this surgery although I had to sign paperwork while in this state I don't remember if I signed it in the right place or even if I signed it on the page yeah that was that was an interesting time (laughs) no pressure on Steve right (laughs) well you know it just goes to show men can make big decisions and correct decisions (laughs) oh definitely do you know what I would have stood by whatever decision he made because Mm. you know I joke about it but uh, I wasn't in a, a fit state to make a choice and and he was at that time and if he felt that I was able to carry on um with a natural birth then I'd I'd have taken that thankfully he made the right choice or what we now know is the right choice because Charlie had the cord wrapped around his neck so I would never have been able to give him birth naturally and you know what I can't I can't even imagine giving birth naturally now I feel a little bit like a fraud when I talk to other mums who have given birth naturally and talk about their stories which which mums do because I I don't I don't relate to it at all I feel like a fraud but I don't feel like I'm any less of a mum in that sense like it just baffles me that in any situation men probably do it too but women we just find a way to feel like we haven't done the job as well as someone else we're not part of that of that group and it's really interesting for me to hear that from you because I look at people who don't have children for whatever multitude of reasons that may be and people who do have children and Mm. who are parents as two separate things within those groups there's so many different stories of how people have become parents and I never even would have thought about the way you give birth as Mm. something that could make you feel that way people have perceptions about how how you give birth the right way to give birth much like you hear loads of discussion and and even as a non-parent you you know about discussions around you know um should you breastfeed or should you bottle feed you know which is best and you know that that's quite a strong polarizing topic but how how you give birth is equally quite a polarizing topic as well so so when you've given birth you get visited by like a community midwife depending on when you are able to leave the hospital sometimes you you get a visit the next day sometimes it's a week later because I had been in the hospital for some time quite a lot of checks and things on Charlie's like eyesight and hearing and things were done in the hospital which in hindsight um, I was really fortunate that I was of best placed for them to do those checks but when the community midwife came to visit me anyway she was getting to know me and she was asking about the birth and I said oh I had an emergency c-section oh that's a shame and immediately (laughs) a reaction like that sets me on on guard my mum was with me actually that that time and my mum had to leave the room because she was so shocked at uh, uh, why she would say something like that and um and given that my sister had also been through an emergency c-section um a couple of years before and really really struggled with it and suffered really quite badly with ptsd yeah. with it for a community midwife to make such a flippant comment and not realize the impact of it was really quite shocking and i think i think there was 
you know some period of time where I thought well am I am I less of a, a mother of a woman for for not not giving birth naturally but I know I'm not I, I really know I'm not there's a lot of things that I can question in life constantly about myself about what I do but I know that that was the right choice that Steve made for me and I will never hold any anything against him for that I'm just pleased that my baby boy came here blue or not blue at the time um and and was breathing and, and is happy and is 18 months 19 months down the line he's he's kind of as happy as you like so it was always the the right choice but I think some people strangely other women need to to be aware of comments that they make to to new mums particularly at a time like that I mean Charlie's my first child of of my own despite being in Ollie's life now for part of kind of 10 years of his life really it's it's a little different when when it's your own child and and I didn't have that kind of experience with Ollie as a as a a baby baby you know early days baby whereas with Charlie I, I was kind of there from day dot obviously yeah it's it's the impact of other other people's words on you other women that I found quite shocking at, at the time and then that was before we'd even discussed whether I was going to breastfeed or bottle feed. I think at that point in time, I was a bit like, uh, I've got your number. I'm not I'm not really going to yeah. kind of share any more than I need to. And I think that's why I also didn't go to many mum groups. I didn't want to put myself in a position where I would feel quite fragile about the decisions I'd made. I feel like that could have been quite selfish from my perspective and could have benefited Charlie but um, knowing that I have so many friends and family with children of similar ages um, I always told myself that he would be socialized with other children quite easily and you know he's been in nursery now well since July last year and is absolutely flourishing you know I don't think the fact that I didn't go to early early days kind of mum groups and things affected him as a mum, you are in no way selfish. <laughs> you know, it's easy for other people to say you shouldn't feel like that. But mm-hmm. I, I can imagine it's hard to not have those battles with yourself. But what you say about the comments coming from other women, I can't stress how important it is that we all talk and listen to each other because everyone does stuff differently. And I think we all grow up like conditioned that, you have a baby by natural birth in those videos even in school when you see animals giving birth they're not having c-sections they're pushing them out of their dog behind do you know what I mean like (laughs) you don't you don't see different ways that things happen you don't see what a traumatic birth is like so you grow up thinking yeah you meet someone you get pregnant straight away because that's how everything works and then you just push a baby out you don't have to take any drugs because that's not natural and then you breastfeed because that's what's best for your baby and it's always easy to do that way and your Um, body snaps back just like that there's a lot of criticism recently of the friends sitcom classic friends sitcom Mm. of um some of the um jokes and themes haven't necessarily aged well but one of the themes that I think is always stuck with me and definitely aged well was that the the way that the three of the women have babies are unconventional and purposely so you know one adopts children one is a single mom and one is a surrogate you know and and that's always kind of stuck with me that actually mums like children like anybody come in 
all shapes and sizes and all um, kind of walks of life and approaches that the way I choose to do it is no less than anyone else. And like you say, sometimes it's not even down to choice because of the medication you were on. You were kind of deprived of that choice. And even if you'd have wanted to in some other way, physically, like when it comes to life or death situations, sod it if a water birth is going to give the baby some special healing powers like that doesn't matter in that moment what matters is that you both come out healthy and I think that is so important to realize that you may not agree with a decision some you think someone has made or you may not understand their perspective because you've got a different view or what you've read you value more but you don't know that when it when it comes down to it if you were in that situation that the exact same thing would have to happen to you no matter how much you plan for stuff like you said you just it's it's nature we don't have control over it yeah and I mean I was I was so fortunate that my older sister that I am you know unbelievably close to went through exactly the same thing first my niece is now far five yeah five this year I know scary how quickly that's gone and she uh, when my sister had my niece it was again via an emergency c-section my sister was fortunate enough not to have preeclampsia but she had other other conditions that made her pregnancy very painful for her um all to do with her pelvis and when it came to um giving birth it was again always planned to be natural didn't think of it being any other way um and then she had a almost a two two day labor which was ridiculous and and it ended up in in a c-section emergency c-section I haven't spoken in great lengths with my sister about it because as I said it 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 was like the start of quite a big spiral of PTSD but I don't think she'd ever considered c-section or what that might mean for her for her baby for her family I'm so grateful that I was aware because of what had happened to her. I hate that she had to go through that and she had to kind of come out the other side in, in quite some time later. But it helped me realise that that's, that's an option and I needed to genuinely think about it. And I think that's what made the conversation or the decision for Steve a lot easier because we'd had that conversation up front and I'd said to him I would trust him with my life and essentially that's, that's essentially what it was. So Charlie will be two in July. I can't believe that. I know. It, it's just absolutely flying by. I felt like I was pregnant for ages. On a serious note, you're probably one of the only women I've seen like on a daily basis through their pregnancy. Mm. So to me, you're swelling in your hands and feet. I just thought that's what happens when someone gets pregnant. Um, from the moment I found out I was pregnant, I, I didn't weigh myself. And I've always grown up with weighing scales in my bathroom, you know, weigh yourself on and off. I'm not religious with kind of checking my weight and and I'm not kind of obsessive over it. But um, I knew that if I stepped on the scales throughout my pregnancy, it was only ever going to go one way. There was no point to to make myself feel bad in, in any which way. And I'm kind of glad I didn't, because when I did step on the scales after having Charlie, I was about three stone heavier than the last time I remember weighing myself Mm. and I'd already had Charlie at that point Mm. so one of the main 
symptoms of preeclampsia is that you put on uh, excessive weight gain because of all of the water retention. And I didn't obviously didn't know that at the time, much like yourself. I had I'd not really been around people day to day that, that were pregnant other than odd friends here and there, family members that you just don't necessarily see day to day, but you kind of check in with throughout their pregnancy. So I just kind of put it down to I'm just that unlucky person that puts on an awful lot. Yeah. Charlie was nine pound eight. <laughs> I'm so grateful I didn't have to push him out. <laughs> <laughs> when I put it that way um you know friends of mine have since had lovely little six pound eight pound babies and I'm just like oh god I can remember so many midwives stopping by when once I had Charlie with me on the ward so many people would say oh um you know how how heavy was he what did he weigh you know the usual questions that you asked it's like oh nine pound eight I don't know any different. I think that's a a fairly normal, healthy baby weight. And they're like, oh, oh, it's that look on their face as if to say, oh, gosh, painful. And then I almost immediately feel like I have to say, but I didn't push him out. Clearly, I don't have to justify myself. But um, but at that moment in time, I I felt felt the need to have to say, yeah, he's a heavy baby, but I didn't push him out. That shouldn't really matter. But I don't know why I'd I'd say that when he was on um, NNU unit. So like the couple of days after I had him I would go and visit him so Steve would wheel me down there because I clearly could not walk we'd go in there and he was in like a little side room and Charlie was in one incubator and this other baby was on uh, on the other side of the room obviously this was before kind of COVID restrictions and things like that so the room was quite small so there was me and Steve and Ollie would kind of cram in to see Charlie but then this baby on the other side of the room their parents would kind of come in too so we'd all all be pretty much sat on each other to to try and kind of see our children so naturally you kind of start talking and they asked me I think I was I must have been holding Charlie and they asked me oh how how old is he like how many weeks and I was like he's like a day old or two days old or, or whatever he was at that point no no older than two two days and the shock on their face because Charlie actually weighed four times the weight of their baby <laughs> And their baby was born before Charlie. And I think it was almost like the assumption that all babies that are in NNU are these teeny tiny premature babies. And they're not not necessarily. I mean, Charlie obviously proved that stereotype wrong. On TV shows even and and those kind of things, the babies in there are titchy tiny and you just think that they're, you naturally assume that they're premature and and those kind of things. I mean, I think, you know, TV and film has a lot to answer for in terms of like real life expectations. I never, I was never certain growing up that I wanted children. Um, in my mind, it was always a I'd have to see when I settle down with the right person because I feel like I couldn't make a choice in advance of that really because it's two people making that choice. Yeah. And yeah, when we when we decided that that we wanted Charlie, um, or that we wanted to get pregnant, should I say? you almost automatically assume it's going to be like in in the movies in tv ads where you know you go and have your scan and tv programs scans it it's so easy to find the baby because they just like scan it and oh no it's there no every time I had a scan I was walking around laps of that hospital to get Charlie to move so that (laughs) they could actually see him properly or you know or I'd have his hand over his face or or he would 
have his bum up in the air and, and you couldn't see anything. Thank you so much for that. It's all right. As I said at the start of this episode, Faye is such a trooper and I just wanted to thank her again for her complete openness and honesty around her pregnancy and how she felt as an early mother for not having a natural birth. One of my biggest takeouts from this conversation is that literally in any situation, women can make themselves feel not enough, not enough of a woman, not enough of a mother, that they're mothering incorrectly and it continues to baffle me. For more information on upcoming episodes in this series or on our previous episodes, then please visit at Moonstone Pod on Instagram.